0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Good to see everyone. Happy birthday to Fellowship. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 is where we are going to be. I'm going to read in verses 1 through verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screen for you. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The glory of God the Father. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I can't help but imagine in a room this size that there are uh, people who are in here today who um, they do not have a personal, intimate, life giving, enjoyable relationship with you. Um, but I know that each person is here because they're seeking, they're searching for something bigger than themselves. Uh, they're searching for satisfaction. We're all searching for, for satisfaction and salvation, and we recognize today, Jesus, that you are the one that brings that. Would you please now, through the preaching of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, take what efforts I've given this week, and and, and Father, I just pray that you use me in this opportunity, that, that you will speak through me, um, that nothing I say will be from my flesh, it will all be driven by your Holy Spirit and I pray that you will open our eyes and our hearts to hear what you would have us to hear this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Had to bear with me this morning, by the way. I got a little bit of a cold. I'll blame Adam because I was working with him in the same office this week, and he was coughing and hacking everywhere. So appreciate you sharing that with me, brother. Um, Hey, a little over a year ago, my wife and I were riding four wheelers in Halliday, Arkansas. Anybody know where Halliday, Arkansas is? Okay. Yeah, um, my wife grew up in Halliday and she wanted to go ride some four wheelers around on the gravel roads and reminisce on some of her childhood. And while we were on the four wheelers, we came across this building right here. This is <clears throat> what was one time the Holly Grove Church building. Now you've probably never heard of Holly Grove I think it was Baptist Church at the time. But what we discovered as we began to talk to Megan's family about this church building that sits in the middle of nowhere is it was started by Megan's great-great-grandfather and his brother back in the mid-1920s. And at the time, whenever this church was started, it was started with a group of people who were passionate about Jesus. A group of people who had vision, who had strategy, they were excited, and they had, you know, these, these grand dreams of, 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 of having a huge impact for the glory of God in this area and beyond. But here it sits now. Just a couple generations later, it is actually no longer filled with a congregation of passionate people. It's actually a horse barn, and it's filled with hay and horse manure. I mean, literally, this church, within a couple generations of starting, though it started out well, it eventually shriveled up and died. And as I begin to think about this church this past week, I think it's appropriate that we realize today as we celebrate our five-year birthday, though God has done a lot of incredible things in the past five years. And we should celebrate this, and we should thank God for this. I mean, if you think about it, we've started with a handful of people five years ago in one missional community. We've grown to over 311 missional communities. We've seen over 60 adults baptized. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen people break free from addictions. We've been able to plant a church. I mean, you, you heard about some of this in the video. I mean, God has done a lot of amazing things in the past five years, and we should celebrate that. But what I want us to realize today is that Fellowship paragold is no different from Holly Grove Church or any other church in the fact that we are very fragile. Because we are made up of very fragile people like me. And you see, because Paul knows that this is true, he gives us this passage today in Philippians chapter 2. And what he wants to talk about with us today is the one thing, more than anything else, That if we refuse to kill it, it will in fact kill this church. And before I tell you what that one thing is, I want to give you some clues and see if you can guess what it is. It's the one thing that keeps you from celebrating others' successes. It's the one thing that keeps you from initiating that apology, even when you know you're wrong. It's the one thing that keeps you from admitting your weaknesses and keeps you from praying It keeps you from admitting that you don't know what you are doing, even though everyone else around you knows that you don't know what you're doing. It keeps you from asking for directions or admitting that you're lost. It keeps you from being honest with yourself. It keeps you from being honest with others. It keeps you from learning new things because you believe you already know everything. It's what causes you to feel good whenever others fail. It's what causes you to be reactive when you should be receptive. It's what causes you to cheat rather than allow yourself to taste defeat. It's what causes you to lie about your past. It's what causes you to keep arguing your point even though you know you don't have a good point. It's what causes you to feel like you have to have the final word. And it's what causes you to spend money you do not have to impress people who honestly aren't even paying attention to you. Anybody have an idea what I'm talking about this morning? Yeah. We're talking about pride. Talking about pride. C.S. Lewis says this. Unchastity, which I know is a word we don't use anymore. Don't worry about looking it up, it'll just disappoint you. Um, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, they are mere flea bites in comparison to pride. For pride leads to every other vice. Pride is the root of all other sin. Pride is actually the very first sin we ever see committed. Whenever Satan himself, who was one time the leader of the angels in heaven, he decided that he wanted to compete with the supremacy of God. Uh, and in his pride, right, he sinned against God. and He was kicked out of heaven. And while on earth, he then led Adam and Eve to sin, right? He began to, to, to plant this pride within their own hearts where they began to believe that they knew better than God themselves on how to run life. And because we are all now born of Adam and Eve, we are all now born with a sinful, fallen nature, and all of us in here struggle with pride. Pride is something, no matter who you are or where you come from, right, we all deal with it. Pride is in you. Pride is in me. And, and here's the thing about pride, though we often think it makes us bigger, right? That's why we use words like, oh, his head's getting so big, I don't know if he can walk through the door, right? Though we think pride makes us bigger, it actually makes us smaller, Pride actually diminishes us, it diminishes our gifts, it diminishes our abilities, and worst of all, listen to this, guys, pride diminishes our capacity to give love and to receive love. When your heart is filled with pride, the reason pride is so deadly to a church is pride literally crowds God and others out of your life. When you are filled with pride, you leave no room for anyone else because you are the one who fills the room. Prideful people, therefore, are often the most lonely people because, listen, pride in its essence is a prison. It shuts you in while it shuts God and others out. And that is why the psalmist says in Psalm 10.4, It is in his pride that the wicked man does not seek him. In all of his thoughts, there is no room God. This is why pastor and theologian John Stott says that pride is our greatest enemy. And that is why Paul wants us to focus on it today. And if you look back again in uh, Philippians chapter 2, he starts and he says this in verse 2, he says, complete my Joy. Talking to the church here. Paul's riding from prison. He's riding to the church of Philippi about how to have joy in all of life. And he says to the church, here's how you can complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord with one mind. In other words, I want you to finish strong. I want you to continue to lock arms with one another. I want you to continue to be a church that's all about Jesus and making him known. He says, if you will do this, that will complete my joy. And so therefore, he goes on and he says in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. What Paul realizes this morning and what we have to realize is this, fellowship. Nothing builds a church stronger than humility, and nothing breaks a church down faster than pride. That is why Paul is super clear right here in verse 3. and He says, do nothing from selfish ambition. In other words, make sure that you are not trying to make life all about you and your agenda. Make sure, church, that you are not buying into the lie that you are the center of the universe. Don't let your life be about making much of you. Make your life about making much of Christ. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition. As many of you know, I, I grew up in a church. And uh, the church that my dad pastored when I was 18 years old. 18 years old. The church my dad pastored, it, it split. And I'll tell you right now, um, the reason the church split, is a horrific split. The reason it happened is because of selfish ambition. It happened because you had this person over here who wanted to do things their way. And you had this person over here who wanted to do things their way. And what begins to happen is people kind of begin to develop these own little factions. And divisions within the church that eventually tore the church apart. Paul understands that, that, that pride leads to selfish ambition. And so he says, therefore, make sure you do nothing from this selfish ambition. And then he goes on and he says, not only should you do nothing from selfish ambition. He says, do nothing of Conceit. Now, the word for conceit here in the Greek literally is the Greek word kenodoxion. Okay, and I'm not sharing that with you just so you know. I went to seminary. It's just a very important word because this translation conceit. It's a good you know English translation, but I think it doesn't really do the word justice that Paul uses because the word that Paul uses here, kenodoxion, literally means to be someone who is starving for glory. And not just any kind of glory, it's an empty glory, or as the King James translates it, a vain glory. Now here's why this is so important, listen carefully. Every single person in here is born hungry for glory. And this hunger that we have for glory starts at a very early age. If you go up to your children, and I know we have a lot of kids, a matter of fact, we have like, what, over 100 kids in our children's ministry, last week so all of y'all have like 10 kids right and so <laughs> if if you go up to your children after this is over and you ask them hey what do you want to be when you grow up you know what they're not going to say mm, mediocre right like, what do you want to be when you grow up I you know no, 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 just settle for the status quo Right? they're not going to say that what are they going to say Something like, I want to be an astronaut, or I want to be a doctor, or I want to be LeBron James. or I, right, They're going to name something that shows you they long for glory. They long, in other words, for greatness. They long to matter, to be important, to live beyond themselves. And that is why, listen, the greatest fear that all of us have in here no matter who you are where you come from introverted extroverted the greatest fear we all have as humans is to be ignored is to be dismissed it's to be rejected it's to be overlooked one of the most painful memories I have as a kid was when I was in fifth grade and I was cut from our basketball team. We didn't have a tryout, but, but we had intramural basketball. And uh, somebody came and just watched the different teams. And, and honestly, I felt like at the time that I was at least as good as half of the players that made the team. In fact, the week they came and watched, I scored 16 points in a game. But somehow I didn't make the team. And I remember just thinking, like, how is this possible? Like, was I overlooked? I mean, that's what I felt like. And my friends, I mean, they all, you know, got to go travel, you know, do all the fun stuff together and spend the night with each other and all that. And I just was kind of left, you know, on the sidelines. It was a terrible feeling. And I ended up spending the rest of my life, and this is something I'm still trying to get over, the rest of my life saying, you know what, I will do whatever it takes to never be overlooked again. And so what did I do? I made sure that I wore name-brand clothes, right, whatever it takes to fit in. I made sure that I became the class clown, even if it meant getting, you know, kicked out of class. I didn't care as long as I could make my friends laugh, right? I eventually found a sport that I was pretty good at. I tried to become the best on the team. Eventually I would be a lead singer of a band where I could, I could make sure I was not overlooked, right? I could, I could be on the stage under the lights with the microphone, other people singing the songs that I had wrote with the guys. All right And listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having name brand clothes or pursuing sports, but here's what we all need to see today. What Paul is getting at is all of us in here long to matter. We all long to be important. And listen carefully, guys. When pride settles into our hearts, we will do whatever we can to manufacture our own vain glory. We will begin to build our lives and find our identity in things that honestly, in the end, do not matter at all, things that will literally be in a junkyard or a graveyard a hundred years from now, and this vain glory. Right. What happens is when we begin to pursue this, that Paul's talking about here, we begin to position ourselves in such a way that we place ourselves at the center. We begin to try to do whatever we can to present ourselves to others as if we are bigger than we really are. Or, some of you in here, what you do is because you've been wounded in the past, you will begin to try to, to hide out so that you can avoid any situation or person that makes you feel smaller than you already feel. This is what Paul is getting at here when he's talking about conceit. And he says, listen, if it's left unchecked and unabated, it will absolutely devastate the church. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or a vain glory. And then he goes on and he says, but, he says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. By the way, a good definition of humility I've heard before is humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Um, when he says count others more significant than yourselves, that doesn't mean that I'm just like, Kenny's so much better than me. He's so much more significant than me, right? It's not like woe is me. It just means that you're having a posture of I'm here to serve others, he says in verse 4, he says, look not only to your own interest, but to the interests of others, right? So in other words, as Jesus said in Mark 10, as Christians, we are to carry the posture. We are here not to be served, but to serve. We are to take an initiative for the benefit of others. We are to find our joy in the joy of others. This is what Paul is getting at here when he says, count others more significant than yourselves. He says, rather than being in a church where it's filled with people trying to make much of yourself, make sure that you try to make much of others for their good and for God's glory. I love what Eugene Peterson says in his translation of this passage in verses 1-4. through four, He says this, If you've gotten anything out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think, yeah, like man, that's what I want. But then I read that, and I'm like, dang, because I think about my own heart, and, and I'll be honest, man, like, I used to tell people all the time, I don't care about what anybody thinks about me. I don't care what people think about me. You say that all the time. The truth is, I do care, guys. I care a lot. In fact, like, even this morning, uh, you know, got, got sharp with my wife because I'm trying to work on this sermon, and I honestly... Even this morning, I wasn't really sure where I was wanting to go, but I was thinking to myself, like, I have got to knock this out of the park. Because if I can't preach a good sermon, somebody's going to show up here and say, well, that was kind of lame, and then they're not going to return. And if I found out about that, I'm not sure I can handle that. That's pride. Should be thinking more about are you encountering Christ than are you impressed with Jared Pickney. But this is what pride does. Pride causes me, for example, to walk into a room, whether it's a room with 300 people or it's a room with five people, and what I'm doing is I literally try to manage the perceptions of other people while I'm trying to talk to them to figure out, do they think I'm strong? Do they think I'm competent? Do they think I'm holy? Do they think I'm a good pastor? And at the end of the day, it's, it's absolutely exhausting because you know what I'm trying to do? I'm just trying to make myself look bigger than I really am so that you don't think that I'm small. That's pride. I still to this day look for ways to manufacture my own glory. And I'm assuming in a room this size that I'm not alone. I'm assuming there are many in here who like me who do not want others to know how small and how weak and how needy you really are. And therefore, though you sit in a room like this, and we claim that Jesus is our rest, we really can't rest. Because the whole time we're wondering what I can do to prove myself to the person next to me so that I can prove something to myself that I actually do matter. And what Paul says is this will kill the church. If you leave it alone, you let it grow, it'll kill the church. So the question is today, what do we do about it? How do we kill pride before it kills us? And fortunately, Paul tells us, if you look again in verse 5, he says this, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born the likeness of men." And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he emptied himself of his glory. And at the cross, here's what Jesus did. At the cross, Jesus literally embraced our worst nightmare. Because at the cross, Jesus, He actually walked right into the thing that we hate and we fear the most. Because, because here's what Jesus did. In Isaiah, actually just read it for you. In Isaiah 53, 3 through 6. I'm not sure if we can put that on the screen or not. Here's what the prophet Isaiah said that Christ did for us on the cross. He was despised and rejected by men. The thing we want to avoid more than anything else in the world. Christ was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and he has carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Amen? Amen. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned, every one of us, to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise the Lord. Jesus, though fully God, Paul says in Philippians 2, emptied himself of his god power. He didn't stop being God, but he emptied himself of his god power. What that means is whenever Jesus came to this earth, he became an ugly man. That's what it just said in Isaiah. He became a poor man, a weak man. And though he did nothing but perfection, we hated him for it. We rejected him. And here's what's the thing about this, guys. Not only at the cross was Jesus rejected by earthly people, he was rejected by his own Father, whom he had had a perfect eternal relationship with. Rejected by his own father. That's why at the cross, Jesus said, My God, my God. It's the only place he doesn't refer to God as his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you overlooked me? Why have you rejected me? You see, at the cross, Jesus took on the thing that we are most afraid of and we are fighting for tooth and nail. Jesus went. He was rejected at the cross. He became small for you and for me. Why? Why? Because in John 17, Jesus said before this ever happened, he said, Father, I want them to have the glory that I have had with you before the world began. And there it is. At the cross, Jesus emptied himself of his glory so that you can share in that glory. How incredible is that? What that then means is, listen, fellowship, and and if you've never been here, guest, whatever, what this means, listen, if you will just come to God empty, if you will come to him and admit, I don't have it all together. I'm not really hot stuff like I want everybody to think I am. If you will admit today that you have limitations and even on your best days you deserve hell, if you will admit that you're spiritually bankrupt before God and that you are weak, if you will admit you have no glory in yourself and you will cling to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus on your behalf, then you will share in his eternal glory forever. Nothing can make you matter more than that. Nothing can give you more value than that, and nothing can take it away, guys. That's the beautiful news about the gospel. If you can just admit today you're needy, you can have life with God, and you can share in his glory. But if you're here today and you can't admit that, if you can't admit your weakness, then listen, God has nothing to say to you. The truth is, guys, if we will come spiritually poor before God, and we will just cling to Christ, what is true of him will become true of us. Because Christ was treated the way we deserve to be treated on the cross. If we will trust in him, we can be treated for all eternity the way he deserves to be treated. And I can't think of anything better than that. This is why Paul, when he ends this little section, he says in here in verse 9, Therefore, because of what Christ has done... He said, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is not this morning, will you bow to Jesus as Lord? The question is, Will you bow to him in this life as Lord for your salvation? Or will you bow to him as Lord beyond the grave for your own condemnation? You will bow to Jesus as Lord. Either in this life as his friend or in the next life as his foe. Either in this life to your joy or in the next life to your shame. The bottom line is this, your name really doesn't matter that much. My name really doesn't matter that much. The name of Fellowship Bible Church really doesn't matter that much. The name of Jesus matters a lot. It matters because Jesus is good, he's right, and he's perfect. It matters because Jesus is gracious, and he's merciful, and he's kind. It matters because he is the only one who is humble enough to leave a perfect place in heaven and come here for you and me and rescue us from the sin that we could not rescue ourselves from. The question I want to ask you this morning as we start coming in for a close is this. I can't think of any better way to celebrate our birthday as a church than for some of you to finally give your life to Christ. To repent of your version of salvation and experience true salvation. To repent of your version of Christianity and to experience the real thing. Have you made a decision to follow Jesus? Have you stepped down from trying to make much of yourself and living with the pride that I can do this and manage it all on my own and have you given your life to Jesus. Guys, listen, pride, if you will not take care of it, I'm telling you, will eventually run you into the ground. Why would you keep giving your life to something that's going to kill you when you can give your life to the one who was killed for you so that you can find true life with him? If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I pray you do that this morning. For those of you that are here and you're like, I've already done that, well, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Eight things. Eight things. I know that sounds like, whoa, eight things. A preacher, eight, that's going to take forever. Real quick, eight things, fellowship, that I want us to continue to do to embrace the humility of Christ so that we can cultivate a humility that allows us to continue to move forward and make much of his name. Ready? Eight things to help us cultivate humility to make sure that we will stand at the test of time as a church. First thing I'd say is this. We need to follow truth wherever it leads us. When we started this church, as Emily said in the video, we started with the Bible. And we said, let's just draw a picture of what the church should look like, and let's just do that. Let's let truth guide us, whatever that looks like. If we are going to be a people that are used by God in great ways, we must follow the truth wherever it leads. That means we must dive into the Word and realize that God, through His Spirit, is going to call us to do some things. And if that leads you, if the truth leads you to being wrong, then be wrong. If it leads you to doing something that's not best for you, but it's best for the church, then follow it. If it leads you to needing to apologize to somebody else in here, then follow the truth. Apologize. If it leads you to needing to confess sin, confess sin. If it leads you to stepping out of your comfort zone and doing something that might seem crazy in the eyes of the world, do it. I got a phone call. I wish I could tell you that the person's name, but... I won't do it. I don't want to rob their blessing. But I had a member of our church call me just this past week and said, man, I was in the Bible, and I was reading Matthew, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said that you need to go and talk to this other business owner in Paragot. And he said, I really didn't know the guy, but I was like, okay, that's kind of weird, but I'm going to do it, Holy Spirit. And so he said, I went, and I, was, I asked, we'll just call the guy John. His name's not John, but we'll just say John, okay? He's like, so I went, and I said, hey, is John here? And the receptionist was like, no, he's in a meeting for the next hour. And this member of our church said, oh, I'll just wait. You know, so he sits down, and John eventually comes out, and he says uh, to our member, "He says, Can I help you?'" And our member says, "Well, I was kind of hoping you could tell me the same thing." You know, I, I, I don't know. Can you help me? He's like, "I just know the Spirit sent me here, and I'm not really sure what for." And anyways, they get talking. Long story short, he ends up being there for three hours, and blesses this guy like crazy as he's struggling with a major family issue. And they begin to dive into scripture and talk about church and all this other kind of stuff, and it's just awesome, man. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Follow the truth wherever it leads you. Second thing I would say is this. If we're going to be a humble people, let's invite and pursue correction and counsel. The dangerous thing about pride is we can detect it in somebody else like that. We very rarely can see it in the mirror. Pride blinds us. So you know what you need to do? You need to get out of the shadows. We need to get in community. We need to make sure we're in things like fight clubs. And we need to actually say to other people, this is the man I want to be, and I want you to help hold me accountable. Okay? Invite correction. Third, I would say be a learner. None of us in here have figured it all out. We all have, still have a lot to learn. And listen, you can learn from everybody in here. We can. Fourth thing I would say is publicly celebrate God's grace at work and other Christians. I don't know why we do this, but we, we literally we treat encouragement like gold. It's like we want a whole lot of it, and we don't want to give any of it away. Let's be, let's be a church known for encouraging. Let's be a church that's known for, I'm not saying make stuff up, but let's just, let's just have a radar up. Let's just have a radar up where we're looking for evidences of grace in other people's life and then we actually say it to them. Five, let's cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. Proud people are not very thankful. You know why? They think they deserve everything. Humble people know they deserve hell. And therefore, you know what humble people do? They say, you know what? This maybe hadn't been the best day. Yeah, my life isn't perfect, but it's not hell. So I'm grateful for what I have. And you thank God for those gifts. Sixth thing I would say is don't take yourself so seriously. Lighten up. Okay? Proud people cannot laugh. They just can't, man. They're just grumpy. They... You know, I mean, let's just not take ourselves too seriously. I'm not saying we all have to be like Adam over here and stand at the corner with a street sign, you know, (laughs) yelling about the end of the times. But there's something beautiful about that, isn't there? We don't have to take ourselves so seriously. And I would say seven, a lot of that is we need to take the gospel very seriously. Learn the gospel. Meditate on the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. You are the most influential person in your life because nobody talks to you more than you talk to you. And oftentimes, I know, the voice in your head is its condescending. You're beating yourself up. right? You're trying to justify yourself through other actions outside of the gospel. So meditate on the gospel and speak the truth to yourself every single day. And the last thing I would just say number eight is, is learn to rest. Learn to Sabbath well. Learn to take at least one day a week where you do nothing and you are reminded that you don't have to be in control because God is in control. There's a lot more I think we could say, but I'm just going to end with this, guys. Look, God has done an amazing work in our church in the last five years. Amen? And I honestly do believe the best is yet to come. And I'm not just saying that because that's preacher talk. It's like, I've got to motivate the troops, you know? And so it's like, I really do believe the best is yet to come. But like all other churches, we are fragile and as quickly as all this has come it can go away just as quickly. Listen, guys, we're almost done. The second the second this becomes about our own preferences or the second this becomes about who's preaching on stage. Sorry, Angie. Sorry, Angie. <laughs> <sighs> That's right. The, uh, let's just all take a moment here, so, <laughs> y'all let me know when y'all are ready. <laughs> hey, we can laugh at ourselves, right? <laughs> Thanks, yeah, good timing. The second this becomes a place even where that can't happen and we can't make mistakes and laugh about, Right? And, and, and enjoy even those moments and say, hey, you know what? We're all imperfect people standing in need of Christ. When that all goes away, it's the beginning of the end. It's the beginning of the end. I really believe in the next season, the next five years, what's going to be defining for Fellowship Paragould is going to be this issue of humility and pride. The question isn't going to be, are we going to grow? I think we'll grow. The question is, are we going to grow in humility? The Bible is clear, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble.